Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Yes, the Premier League is back. We're underway. I cannot believe it. There is so much to talk about on this episode of The Gagan Pod. David Wiener with you once again, this time joined by Michael Bridges and Thomas Sorensen. Let's get straight into it. Ah, boys, we're back. I cannot believe it. We're back talking football. Every every Thursday morning, we're going to have live football to talk about for the Gagan Pod. It's back and just started off with headlines absolutely everywhere. Bridgie, how about this? Welcome to episode 47 of the season. You ready? You ready to start talking some football? You are kidding. We are up to episode 47. 47. Incredible. What more could be said that hasn't been said before? Well, I'll tell you what, the Gagan Pod is going to be fantastic this week. Thanks to David Lewis, <laughs> the man that just keeps giving us talking points, Dave. And it was great to set the alarm clock, get up early to watch a fantastic game of football. Um, and sadly, I didn't see the Aston Villa-Sheffield game. I thought I'll save myself a City-Arsenal um, in the early hours and plenty to talk about. And it's just great to have our, well, an old colleague of mine, Tommy Sorensen, on the podcast with us. Oh, yeah, it's exciting just to, to be back and, and be talking Premier League. You know, we've been sitting here. You know, obviously, me, Bridgie, we've got a, a little bit of a, a special feel for the Premier League and, and haven't played. And, and uh, it's been a long wait and uh, a lot of things have gone on. But uh, just to see the, you know, the, the players out there and, and the ball rolling again and, and talking points. You know, they, you know we, we had two great ones and, uh, yeah, we'll get stuck into them. Now, I'm, uh, we are still recording on Zoom. We're still working remotely uh, at Optus Sport. Uh, in, in, um, some of us are in the office, some of us at home. I'm nicely planted into an empty Etihad Stadium on our Zoom call today. Um, but I am tripping out a little bit because Thomas has gone back about 20 years and I've got Bridgie at the bottom of my screen and then Bridgie's side profile almost kissing Thomas in Sunderland kit. Uh, can you tell us just where, where you are now, Thomas? <laughs> Uh, you know, I'm actually, yeah, I'm, I'm in Melbourne, but, uh, you know, this just takes me back to the Stadium of Light in 1999 uh, when, uh, when we got promoted to the Premier League. You said a, a youthful Bridgie and a youthful uh, myself, and uh, it was a great day, uh, obviously a lot of celebration and uh, the whole gang. And, and, yeah, I had to dig deep in the archives, but, uh, oh, here he is. He's got the, the medal out. After seeing that camera shot behind you of us celebrating, I've actually just seen the, the, the medal on the wall there. The, the same thing. There you go. That's what we, that's what we won. Champions. Really. Unreal. Unreal. Uh, good stuff. Good stuff. Well, yeah, great memories and lots to talk about right now. So let's get stuck in. Let's get straight stuck into it. Manchester City 3, Arsenal 0. I'm just going to say to you, Bridgie, David Lewis. Whoa, what, what can be said that hasn't been said before? I mean, I, I do think 
He is a cracking footballer, Dave. There's no doubt about that whatsoever. The pedigree, the World Cups and things like that, the teams he's played for. But uh, he's a liability at defending one-on-one. He, he's you know, shown his true colours. When Germany smashed Brazil, he got found out. Chelsea, he got found out, he got exposed. What, what did Frank Lampard do after he spoke the coaching staff? There's one man we've got to shift. He's, he's a liability. If we are going to play him as a, a defender in that unit, in a two. In a three, I think if you've got cover for him, not so bad because his ball distribution is fantastic. Um, but today, Dave, he, um, you know, there was talk in the before this, was he going to stay, was he going to go? His headspace has been all over the place, as, as has a lot of players during COVID. And he finds himself on the bench. So he's not been selected. You've got Mari in there, who I thought, you know, it was very unfortunate. Mari, great player. He just went down injured. Um, and just before that, they lost Xhaka as well to a nasty little uh, ligament in the ankle. But I don't know what Mari did, but he was holding on to his Achilles and it didn't look too good whatsoever. Now, David Luiz is not expected to come on so early in the game. I don't think he did. His mm. headspace wasn't right. And I'll tell you what, he just did not look like he had a clue what was going on. He, you know, when, it, when he lost, he, the ball's coming to him as a defender. He should never let the ball bounce anyway in and around your area. And I don't even know what he's trying to do. He hasn't tried to put his foot on it. He's tried to do something with his hip. It skidded off a slippy, greasy surface. And Sterling has read the bounce fantastic. He smashed it in. And that gives City the opportunity to go 1-0 up. And then, the, again, if he drags somebody down inside the penalty area. That's the third time he's done it this season. You, you know, you... You create once you learn from it, twice you'll get um, punished, and third time you should be done. That's it. Three three strikes and you're out if you cannot learn as a professional footballer. So I think he's had an absolute shocker of a game um, today. What I will reflect on and say, I respect him so much because I've just seen a post-match mm. interview. He has actually come out and said, "I am sorry. I am to blame." I said, "I wanted to front the cameras." Now I don't know. I've never seen that before in the past. And I thought it was very refreshing that the players actually come out and held his hands up and being accountable to say I was a disgrace today. And he talked about the future of um, Arsenal, how he still wanted to be there, the contract talks. But he, he did admit his headspace wasn't there and it looked like it. He was, he was a shambles, mate. And he, he let his whole team down, but he's held his hands up. Thomas, do you have a degree of sympathy for him because of the fact, you know, after three months out, he's come on 20 minutes in? Or... Given that, that this is the truth, is his contract expires on June 30. He has to re-sign by June 23 to finish this season. Is that the last time we're going to see him for Arsenal? You know, it's, it's, it's difficult. Um, you know, he, he is a, like, I agree with Bridgie. He's, he's a good player. Individual qualities, he's passing. You know, we've seen him score fantastic goals. And, and, but the problem to me is that he's this hybrid player you know where does he play does he play in midfield does he play at the back and and i can't really put a finger on it because he's a liability at the back and he, and he showed that time and time again you know you're looking at a an experienced player that gets in a position maris gets in front of him in the box and you just know and you got to look at the, the percentages it's an angle shot you know you, you got a, a good goalkeeper in Leno who's, who's had a great game yeah. You know, you've got to then play the percentages and say, okay, I have to let him go. He's in front of me. You know, I've got to trust my goalkeeper. It's from an angle. And, and, and not give the referee a, a chance to give a penalty. And then uh, sending off as well. And, and these are the things that just keeps creeping up. And, and, and for me, 
you know, if, if Ateta is wanting to build a, a sturdy backline, a sturdy Arsenal, not, not what we've been talking about for years, that they've been lacking a bit of oomph about them, I can't see David Ruiz fitting in, into that picture. Um, you know, there's, there's just too much going on and, and too big a history of, of these things uh, that despite a good player, he, I don't think he's the right fit for Arsenal. You know what? You know what's interesting, Tommy. You've mentioned it. How he he does that. He doesn't seem to have that ability to when a player beats him to say, "All right, I've got other teammates around us." Like you said, the goalkeeper Leno was having a blinder. He could have quite easily, you know, come out and and nullified that opportunity. But it's these bad habits that he doesn't seem to be able to get rid of. Now we've all had to learn new habits as well and get rid of our habits during COVID. We're all you know constantly having to wash our hands. It's it's things the players are not having to spit on the field. We've all got to do things and try and adapt. This guy just doesn't seem to learn. And it's, it's like, a, a, you know, if I was a teacher or a, and I've got a kid at school that keeps making the same mistakes, you've got to go, young man. You've got to get out of here. But what I will say, Dave, just put a little light-hearted spin on it. I've got a bit of inside info out of the Arsenal camp. They are actually going to appeal against the red card. They're going to try and get it extended to nine games so they don't have to play them ever again. <laughs> Yeah, I did. Say, I, I did see someone say he's the. It's the first time a team has um, been uh, increased to ten men instead of reduced to ten men uh, during that. So, can you can you think, Bridgie? Like, it's so funny because we've been one hundred and one days without football. We go, what's the Premier League going to look like when it comes back? And in the end, it's like as you were these kind of comical mistakes from from David Luiz. Can you recall a player in the Premier League? I'm putting you a bit on the spot here, but just continues to create these headlines through almost kamikaze to play, no matter how talented he is? Not through kamikaze play, the way that we, we keep seeing the same thing happening over and over again. As players I used to feel sorry for, I used to always think that Frank Sinclair would score loads of own goals. And Jamie Carragher, not if you would always seem, you know, things like that you see happening, but they, they, they don't mean to do then. Things happen. Whereas ah, David Luiz, there's no excuse because he, he means to do it. It's it's like grappling. He can't he can't get away from doing that. Now, I, I was so. reading an article um, before the World Cup. It was a fantastic thing. You know how they were talking about the new referees were starting to get used to people manhandling each other in the penalty area and they were going to start giving penalties. There was a German coach, and I can't think who I was actually reading about, that had got the players... Um, at his team to hold tennis balls in their hands during training to get them out of the the way to grab people. Now, the first thing I'd be doing if I was Arteta, I'd be putting something in David Luiz's hands or, or something because he's, he can't get out of this habit and it, it's bad. And I, I can't recall anybody doing it, Dave, no. Just the own goal scenario. I've, oh, I mean, who, who had his... Roy Keane had a, a head snap every now and again for red cards. But, you know, the, the challenges that were made, I just don't think the same errors have occurred in the same parts of the field like they have with this man. It's interesting, Thomas, you mentioned Arteta planning for the future. And in a way, his selection actually was symbolic. If he had his way, uh, there would have been no Luis in this game. Like, there would have been no Mesut Ozil, who was left out of the squad. He named, you know, his, his attacking trio that supported Aubameyang were 19, 20 and 21 years old. So in a way, he is trying to almost create that uh, stamp his authority on the squad. Did you see anything in there that, that was a development or that there's positives for Arsenal fans to take out of this contest in spite of uh, Luiz's performance? You know, I think obviously the way Arteta was sort of trusting, you know, he, he had 
you know, a couple of weeks and then, you know, a, a, a decent string of results. And then you have this period of time. So he's, he's rebuilding. And I, I think you see some of the, you know, the tendencies and the cornerstones that he's trying to put in the team. And, and, and you got to then look at uh, personalities. Um, you know, you got to get, you know, the right sort of chemistry and, and, uh, you know, uh, culture around the team, which they've been lacking at Arsenal, I think for, for a fair while since Vieira and Terry Henry and, and all those left the club or finished their careers. Uh, and, you know, you got Ozil, is he, is he really committed? Uh, I think his attitude, you know, it's, it's sort of up and down and, and you get things coming out of the camp from time to time, you know, good things, bad things. And Luis as well, the, the, the player on the pitch, um, and he wants players that are accountable. You can sort of see whatever he says. Uh, you know, so I think he's looking to rebuild and he's looking to potentially move these players on if he can and then get younger players uh, and players that fit his mould into, into the side as the next transfer window, as the, the coming season sort of rolls, rolls up on us. Uh, so I think you can see what he's trying to build, but again today, you know, he couldn't do anything. He had to put Louise on, and, and it obviously cost cost him. But but he'll be judged further down the line, I think, it, with the players he brings in from from now on. Yeah, I mean, I've I've got to admit, the first 10, 15, 20 minutes of that game, Arsenal were playing out. They were playing some lovely football. I really liked the way they were they were playing out from the back. They were moving the ball. They were breaking lines. And I was going, oh, like, you know, we're, we're looking at something good here. But then when you've worked on something for the last few weeks and months leading into this game as well, Dave, what, what you've got, you've got Jacker getting injured, you've got Mari getting injured early doors. That throws a lot of your tactical nous out of the window early doors in the game that you've been working on. Um, but I agree with Thomas for the cultural side of it. He's got a, it, the biggest thing. Forget how they're playing, OK? Arsenal's got a bigger underlying problem and that is the culture and there are still people there that do not want to be there or don't have the right desire to be there that's his biggest challenge now I think Arteta made a massive stance the way he played in Keta up front and he put Aubameyang out on the left Sako went and played on the right he'd give Tini's go on the, on the left as the wing the fullback getting up and down I think there was a massive um, he made a, a huge bit of noise without doing so to say you know this is, this is, these are the boys for the future and the ones that are doing around the old guard, they can, they can move on after this season. So question for you then, for to both of you. Um, next season, out of Ozil, uh, Louise, Aubameyang, who's the more, that's, that's the tasty question of the three of them. How many of them will be at Arsenal next season? I'm not an Arsenal fan, as you know, Dave, but I'm hoping one. And I would be throwing everything at Aubameyang. They need a player like him. Um, I, even though he played on the left side, he didn't, you know, I played against Arsenal, as Thomas would have done, when Thierry Henry could play up front with Dennis Bergkamp, but he could also go and drift in. They played a different system, but he would go and drift in that left-hand side position, pick the ball up, and he would run at you. It didn't seem to suit Aubameyang in that game. Um, they had him tied up. I think Edison had more touches than him, and he, he looked very isolated and he looked a bit shell shocked. And he, you know, he, the, how you handle that, I don't know whether he's got things in his mind. But I would be saying, Özil and David Luiz, see us later. You've got to go, and I'll be doing everything to keep Aubameyang. So I'm saying one will stay if they have their way and they get their way. What do you think, Thomas? Yeah, no, I think you know, even though we were talking about Özil and, and he's still in his sort of honeymoon period and, and looking to rebuild this side. 
you know, it'd be crucial for them. They, they need to get to, to, to keep Obama Yang. They, they need to be in the Champions League, you know. So, so, so this final stretch of, of the season is, is hugely important uh, for them. Uh, where they end up would obviously give them some leverage in, in any talks that's going to progress. Uh, I, I still think they'll, they'll struggle to, to keep him because, you know, he'll probably look at it as a, you know, it's a two, three, two, three year uh, sort of rebuild. And, uh, you know, he's, you know, in his best form of his career. And I think he'll be looking for, for instant success and, and will look if there's the right club uh, with the right kind of money. Yeah, I don't think, uh, at least from his point of view, uh, that uh, that's not going to hold him at Arsenal. Are you saying none then? Are you saying all three will go, Tommy? I am saying that, yes. Yeah. The only the only thing I will throw in the spanner in the works, if, if Aubameyang doesn't stay and he goes, I, I don't know how they're going to shift Ozil out because the wages that he's on, mm-hmm. I, I, w- I wouldn't be getting them for my MPL team at the Lampton Jackers if he's being played. <laughs> you know, I mean, what, if, what if you bought the Lampton Jackers? Jeffers? If he bought them, <laughs> oh, he could just sit in the stands. He still wouldn't get a game, but he's not getting his money. But he's not getting a game at the minute. <laughs> <laughs> uh, very well who knows where Aubameyang may end up that is the big that's the swing of their transfer policy you think whether he's at a Barcelona or who knows um, what will make a big factor in that is they're obviously ninth they're well off the pace but the team they played today could hold a big factor in terms of whether there's a bit of an opening for the Champions League or for the European places for them are they going to be in the Champions League next year Manchester City or are they going to be expelled we're going to know that soon but what did you make of them today and I just want to no, like, how do you how do you think they'll approach it? What is to play for for them? They, they were very professional today. From the half hour, they went to another level, um, played some great football. But they can't win the league. They've obviously got the Champions League, but it must be a very strange situation mentally, knowing that if they're expelled from the Champions League, they might also have some transfer issues as well with players looking elsewhere. Yeah, uh, and I think the, it all comes back to leadership and management. When you've got a man like Pep Guardiola that de- demands perfection from himself. That spreads to all the players. There's no way he will let them go go into any match feeling lacklustre or feeling sorry for themselves because they've got a big enough squad where they'll just go, you know what it is? If you do want to be here and your body language suggests that and your work ethic suggests that, they can change things and Pep demands it. I mean, I even saw when the, the player Garcia went off today in the game, mm-hmm. stretched it off sadly and I hope he's, I hope he's okay. It looked very, very nasty. Mm-hmm. Pep Guardiola was so focused. I was interested. I love watching the body language on the sideline. Pep was so focused on getting his players, the tactics and the, where, where they had to be and what to do. Garcia went past the stretcher. Now, I thought he might have just tapped him and, and given him an acknowledgement, but he was so focused on what was going on with the tactics. He forgot about his player was actually going past him on a stretcher. Now, you know, some people might say that's really bad management, but he was so focused. He would have gone and seen him after the game, no doubt. But this is what Pep demands. And that's why City today, for me, looked absolutely outstanding. They absorbed the pressure um, that Arsenal had early doors. That You know, they didn't really have any clear-cut chances. City controlled it at their pace. And when you've got somebody in that midfield like Silva and um, Gundogan, along with De Bruyne in front of them, it was just dynamic. And, no, De Bruyne never looked like he'd been away. That mm. was a scary thing. He looked absolutely outstanding. Um, and the work ethic was there, and the movements were there, the rotations. So there's not, they didn't look rusty at all. And Edison just looked like he had a cigar out and he'd be, he can come and play in my team up front, midfield, left, whatever. He is outstanding, Tommy. He, he's, he's an outfield player as well as a goalkeeper. So I just thought they were absolutely spot on. Yeah, that ball to uh, that, we, t- we all focus on the Louise uh, foul, Tom. But uh, the ball from Edison, 
I mean, when you've got that string, that versatility up your sleeve, it does, you know, wonder Louise didn't know whether he was here or there because, you know, that was, that was a long pass. It was 80 metres in the making. Yeah, no, he, he's been well known for that. Yeah, I think, they, you know, I think, was it a couple of years ago, some videos surfaced from, from the training ground where he was smashing it down the, in, the, in the box down the other end. So he's got obviously a massive amount of power and he's got that, you know, South American uh, low fizzing kick uh, that I never managed to, uh, to sort of have in my locker. You would have uh, stopped your and, groin trying to do that, Tommy. <laughs> uh, let's just kick it as high as possible and, and <laughs> make it rain. Uh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, you know, he's he's uh, you know he's it's it's not one dimensional. He's he's got all that to. He's a modern day goalkeeper. He can sweep. He's he's powerful. He's got the distribution and uh, and the goalkeeping uh, accolades to to match that. So just to wrap up and just to touch on something that is relevant to uh, Louise, um, and it's going to start to become a big factor over the next five days. Is that June twenty three that I mentioned a bit earlier? So overnight, Bournemouth's Ryan Fraser is probably the biggest name so far in the Premier League that said, you know what, I'm not coming back. I'm not signing that little extension. June 30, my contract expires and I'm, I'm, I'm not going to sign on for the rest of the season. Now, he's out of contract, isn't he now, Dave? He's out of contract. So what he needed to do is by June 23, yeah. uh, sign on for the rest of this season because no. obviously this season goes beyond when his contract uh, is due it's to expire. It's a big broken point when we talked about Lee Boyer at Charlton with the uh, you know, right. striker that said, you know, I've got a possibility of a move. If I get injured in that small window, I'm not running the risk. So, if, you know, Fraser will have a lot of options. Yeah, that's right. And it, it's a tricky one, Tom, because... I mean, that's in the championship. It's a big deal. We've got the Premier League. It's a big deal. He's a key, key player for yeah, Bournemouth yeah. to avoid relegation. This is just one of the anomalies of this really surreal season, but it's going to make an impact. How tough is the next five days going to be for all involved in this? It, it, it does threaten to change the landscape, particularly of the relegation battle. Yeah, because it changes a lot of players' focus from obviously the team and, and the season and, and what you were trying to finish. And then you're looking at your own career and your own prospects. And, and, you, and at the end of the day, no matter where your, your loyalties lie and, and you know, you know we, me and Bridget have both been and clubs and have been loyal where we've been. But, you know, at the end of the day, you, you're protecting your own interest when it comes down to it. And, and if he feels it's better for him to sit out... Um, you know, it, it's something that's new to, to football because we've never been in that situation. Mm -hmm. But like me personally, I follow a lot of American sport, uh, NFL, and, and this is a common thing that, that players, you know, hold out or sit out, you know, because they know that, that you know, in case they do get injured, they, you know, the, the, the career could be over, the, the earning possibilities could be gone. Uh, and that opportunity that, and that value that you have in this present time, that disappears, you know, you'll be a thing of the past and, and you have to start all over again. So I, I sort of get where these players are coming from for, for a few games, you know, with Timo Werner as well. We, we're looking at him in, in Germany, you know, so it's, 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 a, it's a tough situation, but I can certainly understand. I can understand the frustration from the club's point of view because, you know, and from the fans' point of view, because you feel, you know, that it's a bit disloyal that you don't want to finish the season, but... You know, from a player's perspective, I totally get why they, they want to protect their future earnings and, and their future, you know, the future contract. There's two sides I look at this from. And I look at the likes of your Fraser. He's had a cracking season. He's been doing very well at Bournemouth. He's been tapped up, no doubt. So he doesn't want to jeopardise a move. You've got Tino Werner going through the same situation, saying, you know, with Chelsea things there, we'll go for that. 
And the the boy from Charlton, I can't think of his name now, the striker that we're talking about. Again, yeah. being tapped up, you've got a future. You don't want to jeopardise. There's a contract there, you, you know. that That's ready to go. If these players, like, and sorry, we'll go back to the Bosman where we could sign after the January window, the last six months remaining. You sign then, but you play for the same team till the end of the season. You still have the security that you've signed a pre-agreement with that club to follow on whether you get injured or not. So you've got that security, okay? With this situation now, the players haven't got that security. They've got to wait until the end to sign, so they're not going to risk it. But on the flip side of that, if you've got an injured player coming back and they get that extra month, they want to showcase themselves and shine, they're not going to not play because they want to put themselves in the shop window. Mm. So it's like the, the ones that are saying that they do not want to play, Dave, are the players that I, I feel have already got a contract sitting there waiting and it's just going to be signed. And they might be under pressure from that club and their agents to say, if you play any games before now, that contract could be null and void. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a really, it's one of the anomalies of this era, and and, and everyone's going to have to deal with it. Outside pressure, so we can't judge a player by saying that they don't want to play. The fans can, they can, they can have a go because they're entitled to that. I can't say to Fraser, I think it's a disgrace what you are doing because we do not know the situation that they are in from the outside pressures and what they're getting from their families. And I, I, I mean, I was injured a hell of a lot. So there was a lot of times I was playing with niggling injuries to try and get that extra deal through before the end of the season, which didn't didn't you know help us in the in the long run. Mm-hmm. Lyle Taylor was the child and player you referenced to we who you spoke about a couple of weeks ago and we and we wrote about on the Optusport app. You can go back and have a read of that. Now moving on to Sheffield United Nil, Aston Villa Nil, which got us underway. A historic game. And here we were, first game in a hundred days officiating. This was Remarkable, Thomas. Have you seen anything? Well, you couldn't have seen anything like this because it's the first time in nine thousand games or something that they're saying they've had a VAR, sorry, a Hawkeye incident like this. There's seven cameras. It couldn't pick up the ball going behind the line when Sheffield United took a free kick. Look, technology is technology. What I want to ask you about uh, is from Chris Wilder's perspective. Did we need to see common sense when we've got we've got the man upstairs in VAR? I know it's not meant to be used, but in that instance, should it have intervened? I think it would have done VAR a hell of a lot of good if, if it had been, because, because people are, you know, there's, there's a lot of frustration and, and some of the, you know, the, the things that have been sort of keeping this together is obviously the goal light technology, because <laughs> that's the sure thing. You know, everything else it's is 100% could never <laughs> yeah. be broken. No, uh, and then, um, you know, we see this happen and, and everyone agrees it was over the line and surely the VAR. And had they actually said, okay, it might be against the rules, but it's for the benefit of the game. Mm. We're going to make an exception here because we can blatantly see that the ball is over the line, which, is, which it was. We are interfering. Yes, it's a goal. Okay. I think everyone, it would have restored a lot of faith and people would have said, yes, it's, it's not... The procedure, but actually they did the right thing, mm. and uh, it benefited the you know the bigger picture and the game and, and everything else. I think now that will just question the the goal line technology now. And uh, hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great 
great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. And that's the last thing you need. Seven cameras. Oh, please don't get me started. The, the referee was... Um... Michael Oliver. So, I mean, experience, experience whistleblower, it, he can't be blamed. He does listen yeah. to the whistle on his watch. He's a Gracken referee. I think he would he started off with me and Thomas Ratsunland in the, in the northeast. Um, I think he's one of the best. If you think for them amount of games that we've had goal line technology, every time you wear that, you know, the thing on their arm when it vibrates for the, for the over the line, he's relied on that so much. He cannot be blamed. Mm-hmm. Well, one thing I will say about him, if he's watching that game, which he is, and you see the Villas players' reaction, and you see the way Sheffield United ran off. Normally, you see Sheffield, the team would play on Villa. Villa were done. They looked in it. They looked um, guilty. You could tell. The goalkeeper's in there holding the ball. He's trying to save it. I think the lad, I think it was Mings that was stood next to him, just kind of give it the old body language down. You sh- that's when he should have realised and gone, hang on, maybe we should go and have a look at VAR. And he, he could have gone and questioned them. And then they could have had a bit of a look at that. Or the guy in the, or the group of people, should I say, that are sitting in the VAR room, could have gone, hang on a minute, he's missed something here. There might be a technical fault with... They're all to blame. They're, the, the cohesion or the collaboration between a lot of them referees in that one moment was an absolute disgrace because that what them points could cost Sheffield a place in the Champions League. That one point could also keep Villa in the Premier League. So there's a, there's a lot to come from it. We're talking about the, the incident. I just think there was, there was too many... The, too many things went wrong as a whole where they could have, they could have got this one sorted out, Dave, I reckon. Definitely. They've all got to be they've all got to be blamed. It's a tough one. Common sense the by the rule book, they couldn't have done much. Common sense. When this technology has been brought in to prevent clubs missing out on tens of millions of Dave, dollars, Dave, you are so right. How how many kilometers are we away from England and we're watching it on television, right? You're telling me we didn't know that was in the back of the net from watching on the television? Well, especially when Chris Wilder said he was eight rows back in the stands. He was that far, he was that far stuck into his goal. The goalkeeper was nearly having a cup of tea in the first row of the stand, mate. And he's got the ball yeah. in his hands. So, yeah. common sense had to prevail there. And I just think, for how much I really rate Michael Oliver, I do think he missed a thing, but he cannot be blamed because as a, as a whole, the whole lot of them have made a massive, massive balls up. I, I tell you what, if uh, Sheffield United miss out on Europe or the Champions League by two points... Um, it'll be, we'll be talking be about this. There's, He'll there's, be wild, won't he? Yeah, no question about it. He'll be wild, Chris Wilder will be wilder. Um, what have we made? Two games in. Um, what have we picked up, Thomas, as the biggest first impression from the Premier League so far? Um, and are you worried about the injury front or was that just a, an anomaly to the slippery surface in the rain with Arsenal? Uh, you know, again, uh, uh, you know, it, it's been a weird off-season. You know, there have been a lot of restrictions. They, they probably have, you know, they've, they've tried to do as much of a pre-season as, as possible. But, but uh, again, probably haven't had the, the amount of games and, and the amount of, uh, you know, contact that you have in a normal pre-season. So it puts, a, I, think, I think, a, a physical strain on the body that, um, that they're not used to. Uh, and potentially... Uh, a heightened injury risk, like we, we saw today, with several players uh, going into uh, to to this new start with with niggles and 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 coming out of it as well uh, of the first couple of games. So hopefully it's not a trend that we'll see when 
when the gates really really kick kick um, kick off and and we um, get a few rounds in because um, you know that would not be uh, great for the for the product. I just think that it's proved that the substitute substitute new rule that has come into effect is is a, a brilliant decision for player welfare and for the the you know the medical staff that are at these football clubs to be able to handle the intensity due in a tough period where they know that it's it's going to. I think they've learned a lot from what what happened in the Bundesliga. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that's a massive plus for me because that that would have been tragic to see a team go down um, two lesser players due to not being able to make substitutions. I tell you what, uh, Guardiola, the third goal for City, Fernandinho substitute, diagonal ball out, Aguero running at the defence, Phil Foden finishes at home. If any team's going to benefit from this rule, I think it's going to be City and Pep Guardiola. Um, any other first impressions, Bridgie? I guess we had the the playing in front of the empty stands. One thing we must note as well is the uh, Black Lives Matter names on the back of the shirt, the um, standing on one knee before kickoff being done unanimously and being backed and endorsed before it even took place by the Premier League. Um, so it is all eyes on the Premier League right now and for a lot of reasons. Yeah, and I think the it's a fantastic initiative what the Premier League have done and also the clubs have done because <clears throat> there's nothing worse than seeing the riot, the protests turn into riots around the world. You know, it's global news. The Premier League is the biggest watched sporting event in the world and for them to make that kind of stance to get global awareness about what we're, what we're trying to get uh, and get to, I think it's the best mm. best thing and the lads have embraced it and I thought it was uh, two, two lovely moments. And long may it continue with the next few games going um, as well. And I tell you what, Thomas, when people say, you know, leave sport to be sport, I think we've seen this week that sport can make a difference when the profile is used as the right vehicle. And, um, I, I, you know, I think Marcus Rashford has shown the ability for sports people to make change. He, is a, he has become, at 22 years old, a... a, a, a Pretty much an icon for a generation, hasn't he? With some remarkable achievements this week. I think it's great. And uh, when people have a platform where they can communicate and they have an, a, a great influence, even though, you know, we're looking at the Premier League. Yes, it is sport. Um, you know, we're looking at Rashford and other players. They are just footballers, but but they, they're more than that. You know, they're also a, a sort of a, a voice uh, that everyone will listen to. And, and when they come out, uh, yeah, for, you know, Sterling uh, is another one who, who, you know, before all this uh, happened in America, he was, mm-hmm. you know, he was out and, and talked about racism and, and that is still going on. And, and we see clubs being banned in Eastern Europe when, when teams are going there and, and people getting called horrible things. And it is something that's sort of not at the surface that it probably was in football in the 80s with, with the hooliganism. And, but it's still, it's still there. It's still sort of, bubbling away in the background and, and, and it needs to be brought to the forefront like they're doing and, and it needs to be highlighted. And, and then you have Rashford that obviously comes from a poor background. Uh, you know, he's lived through, you know, the, the you know, the, the, you know, the, the council estates and, and, and not being able to, to go to school and, and have that free meal. And, and he stands up uh, for, for what he knows and what he's felt on his own body. And, and, and he, you know, he makes a difference. And I think that's, you know, fantastic. And, and he's a young player, um, but he's taken a lot on his shoulders. And, and to uh, get the government to, uh, I think it was 150 million pounds or something, you know, it's, it's a massive achievement. And, and hopefully a lot of more players will follow. Mm. What it is, it was really refreshing because, you know, footballers or sports persons in the, I would say in the NRL and in and soccer over the years, 
um, have been said, oh, they're brain dead. They just know how to play the game. They don't, you know, go and educate themselves and do things like that. And it was very interesting. Uh, my mate who played for Tottenham and Norwich was a guy called Paul McVeigh. Uh, he wrote a book called The Stupid Footballer is Dead. And, he, you know, it was it's great. I've been catching up with him during this COVID. He's been doing keynote speaking and trying to, you know, inspire people and get people to, to change the whole per- perception of sports people on a whole and give them a voice. And instead of being a scapegoat, like the government came out and said they've got to donate all this mm. money. Well, Rashford's put it back on the government. Rashford's doing things that have, you know, outside the bubble. He's thinking about what can impact communities and that. And Paul McVeigh put a beautiful thing. I was just saying, you know, it's, it's inspiring the stupid footballer is dead because people like Rashford exist now and are spreading mm. joy uh, and goodness around and doing the right thing. And I just, I just think the man, he should be knighted and he's only, what, what, how old Rashford? 22. 22. 22. He should be, be knighted already and just, you know, everybody should be trying to aspire to be like him. That, that's what you call a leader and a mentor. And I'm saying that about a young kid. What he's done is inspirational. Incredible social conscious, social entrepreneurship. They reckon uh, 1.3 million children are going to benefit from what he's done. He's raised 20 million pounds during COVID himself. I just look forward to seeing what movement and what work he can do over the next well, decade and beyond. So well done to him and hats off to him. Absolutely outstanding. Now, back to the football f- latest news. Uh, we've learned overnight that, well, basically we're in store for about 13 months of football nonstop here on Optus Sport. So if you were missing it over the last few months, we'll be, you've, you're, we're going to make up for it because the Champions League schedule has come out from UEFA and they're going to complete it in August. We're going to have the Europa League. Hey, Dave, Dave, I've got to stop you there. This is news to me. I'm getting very excited here. What, what's, are we, we're not having a break or anything? No, Bridget, you might just want to turn around and just let your, let your missus know that you're locked in for the next 13 months. Because in August, uh, in August, the Europa League will be in Germany, in four cities. The Champions League will be in Lisbon, in Portugal, in two stadiums. The Champions League final will be on the 23rd of August. The only thing you ever have not decided yet is what they do in terms of where the second legs of the round of 16 games that have yet to be completed, where that will be, whether that be at neutral venues. I think they'll all basically be determined by the, you know, the level of movement around Europe come, come August when, when, when that's up and running. But we have a decision there. We've got obviously the rolls into the next domestic season. Which is when? That'll be off the back of that in October. In that period, by November, we'll know who completes the Euros, um, the Euros cohort for the next year. And as it stands, all the cities that were meant to host in Euro 2020, which is what the name is going to be next year, incidentally, are all going to be back for it again. So the logistics there are staying put. So we've got a feast of football still to come. So I'll get your gut reaction, Bridgie, as you cheer. Oh, and, and Look at this. Celebrate. Get you to it. Come on. How good is that? So what's your reaction? I mean, I'm kind of excited by a bit of a Champions League uh, mini World Cup going on to decide it. It'll be cutthroat because they're only going to be one legs. So it's going to be all systems go. You, you just your, your gut reaction to hearing that news. Well, just delighted that it's going to get concluded. We're going to see the games, whether it's one-off games or, well, obviously what they are going to do is that a mini tournament. The, yeah, the more games that I see in football, the better. And if it can come up and get it, you know, you want clarity, you want something to finish where that you've started. And if this is the way they've come up with the, you know, the concept, then absolutely brilliant because we're going to get to see it. We're going to get to witness it. And it also gets ready to roll straight into the next season, which is fantastic because the last thing the players would want as well as the staff, they've already had a bit of a break. 
no doubt about it. And I think while you're getting yourself fresh again and the can go, you might as well crack on now as, as quick as you can mm. uh, and get straight into the next season. You like the format, Thomas? Yeah, no, I think it's going to be exciting. You know, again, we knew it was going to be a compressed format, the travel and, and everything else. It would probably be in a, in a bubble somewhere. And so it was sort of to be expected. But I think it's, it's, a, it's a bit of a, a different format. I think it's, it's going to be exciting. You, you're going to get, as you say, a one-leg match, uh, winner takes all. And, um, you know, quite quickly, it's a little bit like watching a, a, a small World Cup, uh, you know, with, with the best teams in Europe. You know, so, so we, we knew everything was going to come in waves uh, as soon as everything opened up. And, and now we've got the Premier League, which is super exciting. And, uh, and then the Champions League, Europa League and the qualifiers to look forward to this year. Uh, you know, again, I, I just can't wait, uh, you know, to, to see what happens down in Portugal with the Champions League. And uh, uh, yeah, and then the Euros next year. Uh, so, the, yeah, as you say, 13 months of uh, just, uh, you know, football um, day in, day out. You know, the other, the other thing that I do like, we saw some cracking games last season in the Champions League and the quarterfinals, the semifinals were mind-blowing. Mm. And then we had a bit of a lull period, for, you know, like a three or four-week window before the final. Mm. Uh, and mm. I just feel like a couple of the players had, uh, yeah. had just kind of run out of their sharpness as a, and the league had gone. It just didn't quite have that flow on effect. So I think this mini um, end to it, where the games are coming thick and fast, there's nothing better a player. I'll tell you because the games, when they do come, you're fresher. You've just got to recover, and the games are much better when they're like that. On that point, though, um, in terms of momentum, I would say right now that it's Bayern Munich are the the, the benchmark in Europe. They just claimed their eighth uh, Bundesliga in a row. Robert Lewandowski scored 45 goals in all competitions this season. Outrageous! But they're going to be done for quite some time before this tournament starts. So you talk about the momentum that you just mentioned, Bridgie. Um, I, I want to get your guys' first impressions from what you've seen across Europe. Barcelona started pretty steadily. Uh, Real Madrid as just, well. Just a question off the back of that. The, the Liga's done in France, isn't it? They're not, are they reopening that or is Paris have been yeah, given No, that? that's 100% right. And they were fuming about that because they'll be in a similar situation. That, that really works against them as well. I know so, that the clubs have tried to get it going again because of this situation, this scenario. So for me, the, advan the advantage in the Champions League now goes to the English clubs mm -hmm. and the Spanish clubs, without a shadow of a doubt, because the other ones are not going to be getting that game. Bayern would be wanting the games to be played next week because mm, absolutely full flow. Yeah. So, what are your first impressions of what you're seeing since uh, European competitions come back, Thomas? No, again, the the, the Germans went out on a limb and, and on the forefront, and uh, I think it's worked pretty well. Uh, you know, again, yeah, you know, we saw experimentation with the, the fake crowd noise into stadiums and, and and a lot of other things. So, so it, it was a great experiment for for a lot of the other leagues mm. to to sort of watch, uh, learn from. Uh, so it was great that someone jumped in early, and and I think we we will hopefully see um, you know the benefits of that down the line. And, and yeah, I agree with with uh, Bayern. I, I don't think uh, you know they'll benefit a lot from this. It, it's hard to then go into training mode now, and and you got to you know it's not until August, so so you got a, a month and a half and trying to get friendlies organised and 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 keep keep the momentum going, where the other leagues will just move straight into um, you know the the Champions League. Uh, but they have the quality and, and uh, you know, I'm sure they'll be there and thereabouts when, when we get to Portugal. I just wish I'd met Thomas Muller several years ago before I retired, Dave, because I loved his interview and they said, how do you keep going? And he basically, you know, his analysis was, 
less weight on the bones. Now, sadly, <laughs> when you like cakes, when you like cakes like I do, Dave, there's a lot of weight on the bones. Um, so yeah, I just thought that was brilliant how, how the man keeps himself going, and that was his interpretation of it. I just think he's a class player, and it's as simple as that. So he's been brilliant. He's he's been one of the revelations under Hansi Flick, who's now got a better start to his life at Bayern Munich than Pep Guardiola did, which is testament to the way he's recovered them this season. Other news in Europe: Napoli beat Juventus on penalties this morning to win the Coppa Italia. So. Mauricio Sarri's wait for a trophy in Italy mm. continues, but so much to still go on uh, to see how that form plays out before we go into that cup-style finale to Europe. And he just cursed, doesn't he? Happen. Yeah, it's not great for him. He should be very relieved, man. He won the Europa League with Chelsea because that that wait continues for him there. He better make sure he wins this league this season with it, with uh, Juventus. Otherwise, all hell will be to pay for there if they do not. Um, Moving to what we got on Sport coming up in the next week, because there is way, way, way too much to watch in terms of football, but we're going to do our very best, all in individual time slots. Bear with me as we go with Norwich and Southampton on Saturday morning, 2 a.m. or 3 a.m. kickoff Australian Eastern Standard Time. Tottenham, Manchester United, wow. Saturday night, Watford against Leicester is the evening game. Brighton then against Arsenal. They get the chance to bounce back. West Ham, they host Wolves. Bournemouth, Crystal Palace. Newcastle, Sheffield United on Sunday night, ushering a night that sees Aston Villa host Chelsea and Everton against Liverpool. The Merseyside derby. Liverpool can't win the Premier League in that game now. That'll happen probably against Crystal Palace if all things go to plan in the next week. But so much to look forward to. I'm going to start, Bridget, with your mob, Tottenham against Manchester United. If Arsenal were under pressure... Wow, so are Spurs. Mourinho doesn't have as many excuses as he might have had three months ago, though, because he's got all his attackers back. What's yeah. your read on that situation? Dave, you've just taken the words out of my mouth. The excuses can't go any further. Son's done his military service. He's back. You've got, you know, a fit Harry Kane once again. So I look around. He's had time to, you know, change things around. He, how he's handled the the COVID? Has he has he embraced the players and got to know them more on a personal level? I would I would think so. So they've got a better understanding of who he is. I would like to think so. But I just feel going into this game, there's just a I look at Man United with Fernandez and there's the is Pogba going to play? I just feel they're a lot more balanced. Um, and you know that's coming from a Spurs fan who we don't see a lot of success. I just like the way that. Man United were starting to get going under Raleigh. To, you know, he's had a flying start, then a dodgy spell, but they were just starting to get a lot more stability. And I think Fernandez brought them that. Um, and I just, I still worry for Spurs being under, um, being under Jose Mourinho. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see another head loss before the end of the season, where he comes out with one of these amazing quotes. Whether he does his three fingers again, I don't know. We'll, we'll just have to wait and see. But all eyes are on him. The excuses have got to stop here, and he's got to get Tottenham back playing the way that I felt they, you know, he give them a, a bit more of a an expansive game when he first came in. We saw Deli Ali thrive off that, how he was hitting, but it became one-dimensional then. He's got to get the balance um, between the players and, and a bit more ball retention. And, you know, he's, he's got to know what United are going to do. They're going to counter. They're going to play them on the counter. So how he, how he handles it, I just don't know where this one goes, Dave. I really worry. I, I do think Man United will get a result here. Would you rather be a Spurs fan or an Arsenal fan right now? Who wash your mouth out? Not hypothetically, <laughs> in terms of no, in, in terms of your fears 
of getting into Europe? Like, which one? Are you both going to make it, not make it? We would rather be a Tottenham Hotspur fan. And I mean that because of the culture. I don't care who, I don't care what you're talking about football-wise in the park. Culture, the culture at Tottenham with their players, I feel, is a lot better. I, I speak to the media manager, Simon, quite a bit there. You know, it's a very, very happy camp inside. Yeah, all right, when Mourinho says a few things. Um, but they're a happy camp inside as, as a playing group and a staff. I don't know what's going on at board level, but he says there's a lot of harmony. I know for a fact that there's not harmony at Arsenal. Mm. Um, so I'd much rather be a fan of Tottenham um, than, than Arsenal. So yeah. you'll, you'll be in Europe in some way, shape or form next year, whether it's Europa or the Champions League? Yes. Okay. Thomas, what about Manchester United? I mean, I can't believe I'm saying this, but towards the end of before football stopped, I actually really wanted to watch them. And it was all because of Fernandez. This is a team that's been desperate, desperately horrible to watch for a couple of years. Uh, is that optimism out of place? Is that uh, impression out of place? I'm actually really looking forward to seeing them on Saturday morning. Yeah, no, and again, I think we talked about back uh, before they signed Fernandez that they weren't far away. They were just missing that player that could sort of, you know, connect the front uh you know, with the midfield and be that creative spark. And, and he came in and delivered straight off the bat. And, and again, you know, they would have been one of the most disappointing teams with the, with the lockdown and, mm. and, and the finish of the league because they, they were, I think, 11, or 11 games or something with, without a loss. And, and then, uh, you know, now they have Marcus Ratchford back, Pogba is back. Um, you know, they, they have so much to, to go for. They can go for the, the top four. You know, they have the FA Cup still. They have the Europa League. So it could be a really defining season for Solskjaer after he was, you know, after a very, very uh, lukewarm start to, to the season where he was under a bit of pressure. Um, and, and a lot of people started questioning if it actually was the right thing to, to give him this long contract. So, you know, I, I'm excited as well. And it's great to see United is such a, a big club and, and English football need United and City and, and Liverpool and, and Tottenham and all those teams to, to do well. And it's great to see that that it's finally, at least on paper, and, and we'll see how they start, but it, it's looking pretty good for, for United. Mm. For the work off the field that Rashford has done, he should be given a goal every game. So Man United should start one. <laughs> I'll tell you what's amazing. He's not only done all that work, he's got himself fit, ready to return as well. So uh, incredible, incredible effort. Now, we previewed the season at length, or the return of the season at length last week with our uh, Four Sharp Gagan Pods extravaganza. Um, but looking at this weekend uh, specifically, um, what, else you, what else catches your eye? Well, both of you. I'll go to you first, Bridgie, uh, from those games where it sort of climaxes with uh, Chelsea, Everton and Liverpool all on, the, on Monday morning. Um, but what will you be keeping a close eye on uh, this weekend? Oh, it's got to be the derby, hasn't it? Surely. It's got okay. to be the Merseyside derby. Um, after watching Man City the way they performed against Arsenal today, can Liverpool back, come out flying like they did? They had a 6-0 win behind closed doors. Um, I think they, I, I'm really looking forward to seeing them, uh, how they do. And your boys, Chelsea, Dave, just to see what impact, you know, they're going to have a completely different lineup for next season. Who's Frank going to play? Is he going to give some youngsters a crack? Because, you know, that's exactly what Arteta did as well because of the, the future. Also, I think he wanted to play youngsters because they needed a bit more legs in there, knowing they wouldn't be, have the ball as much when they were playing City. But, um, yeah, definitely Chelsea-Liverpool, the two that teams I am really looking forward just to seeing how, they, how it's going to impact them. Because there's a lot of players on notice at Chelsea that'll be wanting to perform because the yeah. North is coming in as well. So it's, it's going to be interesting to see the dynamics. Yeah, particularly Tammy Abraham and uh, fascinated to see what he does in midfield because there's a fair bit of noise at that young Billy Gilmore 
might be pushing for a first okay. 11 spot. So very, very interesting to see there. What about you, Thomas? You know, I, th I think the relegation battle, you know, to see who, who gets out of the starting box quickly. Mm. You know, there, there, there was a, you know, Watford had some, some good things going uh, before, the, before the break. They're sitting just there with, with I think, goal difference. Uh, you know, Brighton weren't having a great time. You know, can they get uh, something going? It would be great for, for Aussie uh, uh, de de delegation there. Uh, and West Ham, David Moyes, you know, he had a, a lot of big, big words to say when he took over that, uh, you know, he was going to turn it around and, and prove that he, you know, was a good manager and, and, and sort of the bad couple of, of clubs and, and stints that he's, he's, wasn't a sort of an indication of who he was. Uh, so I think there's, there's a lot of storylines there, you know, to, to, to watch over at least this opening weekend and, and the first couple of games to see, to see actually who, who's made the most out of, um, you know, out of this, uh, you know, a little bit of a, 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 a yeah, the lockdown. Yeah, the other, yeah, the other I'm looking forward to is Watford Leicester, Dave, because we're going to be back in the studio at Optus. I'm going to be doing it from there, and I think it's Saturday night fever the show is going to be. So I'm looking forward to doing the, you know, a lead into that game. Uh, we're watching it live, and it's a perfect time. It's I think it's uh, what time? Eight thirty, nine thirty kickoff. Uh, Eight thirty. Eight thirty show into I think a nine thirty kickoff or something like that. Perfect. Perfect. Uh, That's what I'm, I'm, yeah, I, I want to see how Leicester, because I want to see how, if I'm looking at that, I want to see how Leicester, are they going to come back? Is the COVID period going to be the blessing for them? Because they're on a slide before. I can't wait to see that. And West Ham Wolves is such an interesting game. Two big clubs, but clubs that probably would expect, uh, or their fans would want to be in the roof. Well, sorry, West Ham fans want to be where Wolves are. <laughs> West Ham <laughs> would be where Wolves are. Yes. <laughs> That's that's a really tasty game, and I want to see if Bournemouth. That's another one. They were on a shockingly slippery slope, uh, and they've got a really a, a game that should be aspiring to win against Crystal Palace. So plenty to pick the bones out of by the time we next catch up. Looking forward to it. Plenty, yeah, plenty more weeks of football, and this weekend it was just great to wake up at five a.m. mate with the alarm and just watch a quality game of football once again. Come back to me by episode 60, Bridgie. Let me know how you're going. Ah, oh, Dave, you know me, mate. Talking about football. I'll be talking about football when I'm dead, mate. When I'm either <laughs> under or in the heavens. Who knows? I will still be talking underwater, pal. Magnificent. Well, Jess, thanks so much for your time today. Thomas, great to see you again, even though I'm just tripping out with my double vision of Bridgie in both screens. But great to see you again <laughs> and a great to talk football with you again. Yeah, it's been an absolute pressure. And, and as again, hopefully we can, uh, you know, this is just the start of the excitement and we'll, uh, we'll just have a cracking time for the next 13 months. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Take care, mate. Thank you, Dave, once again. And Tommy, great to see you, mate. Great memories there behind. And thanks for joining us. And I'm looking forward to doing a lot more work over the next year with you, pal. See you soon, mate. And to everyone out there, we can say it now once again until the next Gag and Pod. Enjoy your football.